when we study through the book of Romans, we're laying a foundation for our own lives. Because without the proper doctrine, we can't have the proper life. Our attitudes are based on our doctrine, what we really believe. And you have to make a difference between the doctrines that you profess from the doctrines you believe. I believe the things we actually base our life off are our real doctrines that we believe. Not what you write or say. It should be the same, but it's often not. And we haven't, like we just talked about God being our refuge. You're really tested, of course, when your bank goes under or something. You hit, oh, am I worried? Or what? But uh, in the sense of, is, is, am I really trusting the Lord or not? But uh, a good question a lot of people says, well, is doctrine really that important? But just think of this one doctrine right here, okay? I, I have the little circles on the top of your hand out there. What if you believe you have eternal life, but you do not? Is that important? Would you say doctrine is important? Sure is, because it has everything to do whether you have eternal life. I could list many, many things. We have to be really careful and wondering whether doctrine does affect our life. Doctrine is basically teaching. It, it, it comes from a, the Greek word. It's basically teaching. But the teaching is important that we have a great foundation. And wherever that foundation is wobbling, our faith will be wobbling. It won't always be wobbly, but at certain points in our life, we need to know what we understand, what we believe, so that we can help others. Now, there's a, a number of things through the passage in a minute. You can open up the book of Romans, uh, chapter 2. Uh, but if I want to just kind of go over a few things and then give you an exercise. False teaching is isolated, untrue instruction. It's just not true, okay? Uh, I understand that usually has to do with God or life, uh, you know, existence kind of thing. A cult is a systematic collection of uh, teaching and similarity. It has a lot of similarities to Christianity, but at least with one vital doctrine or teaching that is not true. And because it's a vital doctrine, that that if you belong to that cult, more than likely you won't even know really know the Lord. Now it's possible someone in a a different uh, church will come to know the Lord. When I grew up, uh, you could say our church was really a cult. And it wasn't, in a sense it wasn't so similar, but it was. It was a liberal church. We didn't believe that Jesus, uh, the church didn't believe that Jesus dying on the cross made any difference really on our salvation. And so because of that, you could say, well, you know, none of us would believe. But actually God still saved some of us within that church. But it, we don't realize how many wrong uh, teachings there are. Uh, there's a false religions philosophy that they basically are those that are systematic and trying to give a comprehensive ex explanation to our life, to our existence, trying to answer the major things. Why are we living here? And what should we be doing with our lives? Those are religions and philosophies. And the occult, uh, I just put that down there because a lot of people confuse it. Uh, those are our teachings where people focus on um, hidden world of the dark world uh, regarding Satan. It's not really connected, and yet often people confuse it. So I just put that down there. I want to be begin with the word of prayer, and then I'm going to give you each table an uh, exercise that you can do. Uh, that's something I just noted and found in the paper just uh, two days ago. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for having this time together to study your word. We pray that you would teach us, that uh, you would give us the right understanding about life, our own lives, even about you, that you could use us and make us strong men and women to be like Jesus. Oh, Lord, 
Lord, the world needs more of your love. We pray that we would be those agents of your love. Now teach us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to page two, if you will. We'll come back to page one and look at that diagram closer. But page two is something I found in the newspaper. You'll see a box there. Does everybody have a handout? There's some extras here? There's one extra here. Okay. Everyone have one? Okay. Good. Uh, so on page two, you'll see a box there. Searching for a spiritual path. Now, I found this in the newspaper, and I want you to go through it, and you can use your pen. Uh, mark out what's true and what's false, okay? I want you to do that at least with that block going through there. And then, uh, if you have extra time, you can go to the bottom two paragraphs. I went to their uh, homepage and found a couple paragraphs, and I quoted from them. Uh, and this is a, a, what they call the new church. It's not far from here, actually. I, I was kind of surprised. They have their own school church. And you might think, oh, I'll send my kids there. Well, I, I want you to think about this. It's not too far away. Uh, we should be... Uh... So you look through here in your tables and just mark what's true, what's false, and maybe what's... What do you mean? What's false about it? Okay? So why don't you spend 10 minutes uh, about that. I'll stop you in a few minutes and then you can maybe discuss in your groups what you found um, to be true or false. Please make sure you have downloaded the handout and done this assignment. We will continue. Okay, maybe you can um, start telling me a, a few things that you, you uh, noticeable things from these different three paragraphs here. Everything is wrong. Oh, come on. Everything. I now, I did pick out the bottom two paragraphs. I picked out because they were specifically, I wanted you to mark what was wrong. Um, some of their ideas are more uh, hidden and, and wouldn't be so obviously wrong. But that's true. The bottom two paragraphs... You probably can see that very clearly where it's steering. But what about from the box itself? Do you have any concerns with that, or is that could be like any church? Yeah, you're not quite wondering what does it mean with these ideas and what they uh, are doing, and but like you said, a little inconsistent maybe at the bottom of their lives. If you read on more, you would see you're, you're right on identifying the, the whole concept of ideas actually would be truth that um, supposed to change their lives. I mean, if you look carefully, it actually said that Jesus, he changed from physical into spiritual. I mean, I, that, that's a process supposed to happen in our bodies. It's kind of a radical uh, understanding, but uh, you, you're hit on one of the ideas. Something else? Hmm? I think it's inside the box problem is that it doesn't even like, specify the name of the Lord God. That's okay. Alright, yeah. It, it's not naming a God. Uh, in fact, it says what? A life of religion. And, and you're wondering, hmm, who, who is this and what are they doing? Yeah. You're, you're, you're right. Good, good. I'm glad you're marking this off. I mean, you, you would expect in five years, probably all of you won't be here, right? You'll be in some part of the world and so you're going to find another church, you know. How, how are you finding a church or recommending a church to someone else? Because this calls itself what? A new church. Anything else? Yes. Uh, it's people-centered. People-centered. Yes, from this past, I read some of the people. Uh, God isn't there. It's the people who are important. And it's the relationship that people and people are important. Okay. All right. So you, you really get the sense that 
Okay, God's not the center there, it's the people. Mm-hmm. Good. So not worship of God, it's what people are doing, and you're right again. Yes? Basically, if you're sincere, you can do it. What about, like, Osama bin Laden? I mean, he's religious. He's really sincere, but I mean, yeah. Okay, good. So you're really questioning about that. Okay. One more point? From anywhere? Yes. The last point, it talks about salvation is something we can earn. Mm-hmm. By the way we live, I mean, it's more good works based than grace based. You don't see anything about grace or being saved by faith or mm-hmm. being saved by faith. It's like, again, like Jenny said, it's people centered and we can earn our way to heaven by the way we live and by the relationship we have with other people without any mention of God or Christ. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Uh, they call themselves New Church. It was uh, founded about back in the 1800s by a Swedish philosopher. But what's interesting is that you know all the things you're saying is true, and you just kind of look at it more and say, "Wow!" I mean, they actually have another scriptures that they have that they go by. So they have the Old Testament, the New Testament, and another scriptures. So I mean, that's a real mark of a cult where they go by teaching that is not within. Uh, the 66 canonical books. So, always need to be careful. Uh, but false teaching is all around. Now, one of the things that was just mentioned was this whole idea of earning work, earning salvation, or from the first line. You know, uh, you, if you're sincere in your religion, you can go to heaven, enjoy heaven. Well, when, when you go back to the book of Romans, and then I, you can turn to first page, back to first page here. You know, what we're going to find in the end of chapter 1 and the, in the beginning of chapter 2, and we're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 11 here, uh, is that actually there is a difference between them. I want you to individually, I'll just give you like one minute. I don't know if you can tell them. If you just scan over from the last part of chapter 1 to the chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, what is the difference? There's, there's a main difference here. And uh, something that's very significant. Uh, one is uh, we'll see the differences between uh, the what it's saying, okay, the, and, and how it's saying it. He's changing his argument. But there's another element that it gets down deeper. If you look, for example, at verse 20, 120, chapter one, verse 20, he's talking about so that they are without excuse. Okay, verse 25, for they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Now let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. How many times does you use there? You know, about five times? Now, in chapter, end of chapter 1, he's saying they. In chapter 2, he turns like going around a corner, or 180 degree turn if you would, and all of a sudden starts focusing on you. What's the difference? When you're talking to someone and uh, trying to convince them of something, you can talk about they are like that, they are like this. And if you say those evil people out there, or those bad politicians, or that bad religion, and you can kind of identify with that, can't you? It says, you, that they out there, and then, right, he brings it right back to you. 
you. Why is he doing that? At the end of chapter 1, who is he basically describing? Human beings. Well, what kind of human beings? Evil ones. Evil ones, okay, yeah. So all those bad people out there, who does that leave? Us here, us goodies. Yeah, yeah, we're the good ones, right? Yeah, here we are in a church service, you know, we're the good people. So, on one side, he's all those people out there, all of the bad ones. Now he's bringing his focus on we, you. These are the people who would say that they consider themselves as good. Now, if Paul's argument here, and he's trying to make this as one of his basic teachings, is that all men are sinners. That's important. Because unless you know you have sinned, you won't seek a savior. And he wants everyone to seek for Jesus. Because he knows how important he is to our lives. Paul himself experienced that. And so he's trying to show them how important Jesus is. But before people can know that, and we face this problem in our society, right? Do you meet up with people who say, I don't need Jesus. I mean, why, what do you have your religion or what do you have your belief? I don't need that. I'm happy with my life the way it is. Now, what do you see in their statement? That they lack a recognition of their great need of a Savior. Now, because we don't fully believe that, Christians who call themselves born again today in statistics, they would say probably most everybody's going to heaven. Now, a lot of them believe that now. And about 60%. Just because they're sincere, they're trying good. Not themselves. They're just not anybody. In other words, what they're saying is, it's, Jesus is not that important. They're just so they're sincere, maybe like that first statement we read in that box. And so what we find is right now, what we call is evangelical Christianity. Fool, it's dropping its doctrine, its teaching, and it's just being thrown down into a box of chaos. And its immorality is growing, its doctrine is gone. And it's, it's just like the world. A lot of it has really gone bad. This is why you have to be very careful about a church, because what a church calls itself is not necessarily what it is. What are its teachings that it really believes in? And do they really believe in them? If I ask you the question, because this is lingers behind a lot of people's minds, and we've talked about it before, what about those people who haven't heard the gospel? Right? Well, what do you believe? Well, God is loving, right? That's how most people start off their thinking. And what's the conclusion? Well, then, therefore, God will, you know, figure out some way for them. But basically, they are counteracting the teaching that is so clear in Scripture. Now, if we go through here, I want you to just think for a second. There's two groups of people Paul is locking everybody in. Now, you can figure yourself in one or the other group, okay? You know, either you're those wicked people out there, or you're those goody two-shoes. Uh, you know, there's good people here inside the church. And and what he's basically saying is, how do you know you're going to get to heaven? How do you know you're going to have eternal life? Now, let's, well, I, I, I don't, there's a couple ways I can teach this, but let's go down, I just want to kind of shock you a little bit. Let's go down to verse 6 and 7. Uh, he's talking about here, about eternal life, gaining favor, okay? Uh, in verse 6, 7, and 8, he says he will render, this is the way God's going to judge, verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Okay? 
Verse 7, to those who by seeking perseverance and doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Verse 8, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. So how is God going to judge everybody? Including us. Right? We have to include ourselves here, okay? Even if you're what, the outside group or you're the inside group. So how is God going to judge us? What's it said? How would you put it in your own words? According to what we've done. Okay, not what was said, right? Not what was said, but what was done. Alright, so if you took and started examining how we lived, how would you do it? Now there's two situations he set up here, okay? Verse 7 is one, verse 8 is the other. Verse 7, those who are by perseverance and doing good, seek good, glory, honor. What's their reward? Eternal life. How about the others? Verse 8, well those are selfishly ambitious, do not obey the truth. Well, God's judgment is going to come on them. So what group do you fit into? Now God is just. Everyone says, well God's going to be fair, you know, so he has to bring everyone to heaven. Actually, it's not that case at all. If God's fair, he's going to look at everybody, let's see how you did. Here's George over here. How did George do? Well, let's look through George's life and how did he do? You know, here's Alice. Well, let's look at Alice. How did Alice do? So how do you all do? I have to include myself in that. They, the, the wicked category, there myself. I, I don't know how you do. How would you do? Everyone falls short of God's glory. Um, but I mean, he's setting up here that if you did live a righteous life, you could have eternal life. Would that be true? Yeah, I mean, that's what we have to understand. When he made Adam and Eve, I mean, he wasn't going to die. He was going to live forever. But the problem is, you see, that actually there is that sin. There is that consequence. And we haven't made that. So we all kind of fall into that second category. Now, I, I, I want to kind of throw that out, but I want to... Let's go on and look at page three. So there will be two situations. First of all, in, in verses one through four, everyone will be prosecuted. Now, prosecuted, we're looking at God's great judgment. And this is what he's trying to say. We already talked about the Gentiles, you know, those who definitely are no good, those ones who have sinned, those who don't belong to our group. Those are the terrible people out there. But now, Paul's concerned that the Jewish people also will consider themselves as those who need saviors. So could we have someone read verses 1 through 4 for us, please? Chapter 2, 1 through 4, Romans. Therefore, you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do not suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Let's look at it in two arguments. First is the argument of self-incrimination. They themselves are labeling themselves, catching them themselves. So the, argument, the first argument found in verses 1 to 3 is that they actually are seeing the wrong things that people are doing. And Paul says, all right, Hold it a second. You saw that they, what they're doing is wrong. If you point out they're wrong, then you know what they're doing is wrong. So that becomes a standard right there in your mind. 
Now, the question is, are you consistent with that standard in your own life? Now, the self-righteous people, and this is what I would consider this group, the self-righteous people are the ones who would consider themselves, in their own eyes, as righteous, as good, as God approved. And that's the way the Jew looked upon himself. And most religious people, if you want to actually apply this over to our own society, just look at you know, the religious, the moralists, uh, who they are. The self-righteous, they consider themselves as not as bad as those people. In fact, they don't focus on what their life is like, but others. And so when there's, and there's a particular sign of the self-righteous group. They are looking down at others, very quick to point out their errors. Oh, what they're doing is horrible. You know, well, they'll get their share. I'm glad I'm not like them. You know, stay away from them. It's all that kind of pointing the finger, making judgments, all those kind of statements there. But when we point out that we've done wrong and then we do the same thing, we should be able to catch ourselves. Now the problem is that often that's not the case. And uh, parents sometimes are terrible that way. Oh, why are you lying like that? And they don't realize, actually, they lie a lot to the husband and wife, lie back and forth. You know? But the children see it all the time, and then they're scolded because they got caught in a lie. And the children are thinking, wow, you know, why are they punishing me when they do the same thing? Of course, they can't say that to the parent, but you know, this is what they see. And so those kind of inconsistencies are something that are all around. And it's those who usually you know, consider themselves within one group, they consider themselves outside of God's judgment because they see all the sin out there, not in their own lives. And I, when I came to the Lord, I was just the same way. I wasn't particularly moralist or religious or anything, but uh, I was just brought up in a church. But still, I didn't see my sin. It was only when God revealed His holiness to me, all of a sudden, I could see how sinful I was. Before that, I was just blind. I just couldn't realize it. Uh, and it, it's just amazing. And I, I can think Paul, the apostle, isn't he that way? Do you remember? He was going to kill these Christians, put them in prison for, you know, for saying things against God. But now, all of a sudden, something changed. And God revealed his holiness. He could see all the inconsistencies in his life. Hopefully, we have a little bit of time. How do we actually practically talk to these people when we're witnessing to them? Okay. Now, Paul's concern here is, again, he wants to include the Jewish people, uh, the prideful ones, the self-righteous ones, in this, so that everybody will be prosecuted. Everybody could understand this, why they should be. But the first argument is here, that actually he points out, if you can judge somebody for something, and you're doing the same thing, then you also are guilty. So, and let's look at verse 4 here. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So the self-righteous will think, hey, we're treated special. We are special. You know, we're different than others. God loves us. We're better. And so there's a lot of people, you can go on into tradition, right? And we'll look more of that at the end of the chapter next week, uh, or the next class, uh, where you have... I've been baptized, uh, I read the Bible every day, I do this. So that puts me in a favored class, okay, where you know I'm accepted. Just because you haven't received judgment now, does that mean that God does not, his anger is not against you or me? Now God says here in verse 4, we can look at it, it clearly says that God is being patient and he's being kind. That patience is expressed out of his kindness, his forbearance. If God did bring his judgment, the whole world would be 
are prone in, in a big way to tsunami of, of judgment right this moment. So, the Jewish people often think God treats us special, we're in a special category, the self-righteous people, and therefore they think that because of this special relationship with God, the things they do, God will not judge them according, judge them, and they have hope of eternal life. Now, so in the first part here, even the self-righteous are liable for their sins before God, of their deeds and what they do. Even we ourselves. And so you have to understand that. Well, and have you ever come to terms, no matter what group you're in, that God will judge me not how I feel about myself. That's the big modern humanistic misconception, okay? Not how I feel about myself, but how God will judge me according to his standards. Now, Paul hasn't talked so much about outside standards, but only personal standards in the first couple of verses here, right? He says, you judge someone. I, you know, that, that lying over there is wrong. So, when I judge lying, that there's a standard within me. I know that lying is wrong. So, it's, it is wrong for me to do that. So, there's a standard within myself. But Paul's going to go on and he's going to talk about an outside standard. Even the self-righteous are liable for their sin. Let's go a look at the last page here. Everyone will be justly prosecuted. Now, if the first point was everyone will be prosecuted, and he wants to include their self-righteousness. The second point is everyone will be justly prosecuted in verses 5 to 11. Justly prosecuted. In other words, God will just righteously. Let's read all those verses, 5 to 11, if we could. And it will uh, cover some of the verses we talked about already. Verse 5 says, But because of your stubbornness, and your under you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give each person according to what he has done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show good. Thank you. So notice in verse 5, because of your stubbornness, he's still talking about the you people, okay? The you. You know, not just outside there, whose people would... Uh, if, if I go up to a, a, a person who is you know, doing some form of immorality, selling drugs or something, and talking to them, they, they don't usually have such a problem recognizing their need. But it's the problem of the people right here that within the moralist groups within the society, they have a big problem identifying their problems. So Paul's focusing on that. And he says, your stubbornness, your unrepentant heart, so just what I want to do through these verses is just kind of talk about verse by verse and just explain some of the statements so we can observe some of the, the uh, you can call them doctrines or teachings that are being taught here or assumed. For example, in verse 5, there's a phrase, stored up wrath. So you are storing up wrath for yourself. So what does it mean, storing up wrath? Have you ever thought of a person storing up wrath? Now, we can take all these arguments and go back to what we talked about, but what about those people who never heard the gospel? Okay. Now, people, every individual is storing up wrath as he does what? He obviously is. You do the wrong deeds. When you're doing something wrong, you're storing up wrath. Now, storing up wrath means what? They're guilty deeds that will come upon. But actually, it's storing up God's anger. It's like 
a big box of God's anger being poured in there, but it's not broken open yet. So you know, it's going to come out onto our lives because God is so angry. Now, is, can God judge us just with one sin? Sure, I mean, he did that with Adam and Eve. Certainly, just one sin would make us fall under God's judgment. Now, but he's just storing up. You've got hundreds of uh, thousands. How many in your box? He's oh, too many. And, um, but can you all think of some sins that you've done? Can you? I mean, you, you should really think of something you've done wrong. And forgiven, maybe to Jesus, okay? But I want you to think about it. Because unless you know about grace, unless you know about your sin, you'll never know about grace. You'll never be a strong Christian unless you know how much you needed Jesus and have found God's grace in your life. So stored up wrath is one term. Here's the day of wrath. That's another term in this. You stored up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. The day of judgment. Now God's judgment day, right? When he, he says he's going to bring everyone before strong and judge them according to their deeds. Do you remember when he uh, when it says in the scriptures that he will open up the books, he'll put everybody in a lamb category or a goat category, right? What's the difference between those two categories? He had a book, remember? He would look and see if the name was in that book. It wasn't because we did all the righteous deeds. Actually, we're all kind of goats, right? The point is that some of the goats had their name written in the book of life, which gave them protection under Jesus' refuge. The day of wrath will come, so it, it, it's a finishing point. It could be tomorrow. It could be a time when that's it. For all of us, we no longer can do anything good or bad. That's the end. And when we think about the people out there in our office, schoolmates, family, we have to think that the day of wrath is just hurling on. It's coming right toward us. It's only God's great infinite patience holding it back. So there is that day. It's not a myth. It's not a story. It's true. One more phrase. Righteous judgment of God. That's the end of verse 5. No one needs to be concerned about justice. Yeah, some people are so concerned about justice. You will never find perfect justice on earth. You will not. We should be just. We should expect justice. But we will never find it. There's so much corruptness all around. But God will straighten everything out. And we can trust God with our deepest problems. You know, other people are doing that, doing that. No one's going to get away with that. Every deed will be paid for fully by God's great anger and His judgment. Are there any questions at this point? I want you to understand these teachings. I'm trying to teach them one by one, just these phrases, because each phrase speaks about a teaching. Like the day of wrath. Actually, there is a, a certain day, a time when this earth will close up and all the books open. Okay, so I mean, there's actually going to be a day like this. That's a teaching of the scriptures. That's not my teaching, it's teaching the scriptures here. And that's what I'm trying to do through this section. There, there are some people who will consider themselves as self-righteous, but they will be in the end judged. Um, so that's right, we can trust those people that you see injustice or wrong. God will take care of that. But if we let that wrongness and that person, that situation, uh, maybe someone was raped or hurt or uh, some pastor did something wrong to someone, okay? What, what if this situation, are we going to let a problem with them influence the way we respond to God? Well, maybe not, but Ah, but God will judge them. And, yes, I'm not saying we should allow that, but the point is we're not an authority. We're, we can't change that. 
But what we can do is change our own response. And that's what God's asking us to do. And there's two ways we can do that. One, we recognize our own sin. That we can't have that eternal life. We can't make it. Let's go on a little bit. I mean, we'll probably talk more about that concept. Verse 6 says, Who will render every man according to his deeds. Now what are we talking about? According to his deeds. So actually God uh, focuses on what we do, what we produce as individuals. Which seems to mean not what I want it to be like. I can't blame my circumstances. Oh, I grew up in a terrible home, therefore, you know, this. No, the God of the world can't, will not look at that. He's saying that's not the way. I will judge you according to your deeds, how you responded. And basically his implication is that every man who's made in God's image is responsible to act in a way totally in accordance with God the Holy One. All of us. Now in chapter 1, we already talked about that standard that God revealed himself that man suppressed. Okay, so there's that underneath all of this. Because he suppressed it, that, that only makes man all the more responsible because he's holding it back. And that's the right way to understand it uh, and the way we are. It's according to our deeds. So it's not what we wanted to do, what we feel felt like, what someone did to me. There's no playing victim here. We have done it and because we are our, our agents before the Lord. But another term here, who will render or repay, okay, good for good, bad for bad. Now God will take care of that. So if you know meet up with someone that's been a really good person, well, don't worry about it. Hey, you've done good on these things. You don't have to be worried concerned about that. That's okay. You find some good people at work, just encourage them in doing good. There's no problem with that. Now the problem is that those people who are doing good, that you believe a lie, that their whole life is good. Don't do this. Because that, and we'll get on to more to that, but he's trying to prosecute, everyone you see is actually falling short. And we can call people to the standard they have. But if we just did, and if I just did this, okay, say we have made up with a friend who does very well, maybe has a religion or philosophy or whatever, maybe he's a professor, maybe he's a street sweeper, it doesn't matter. But the point is, we can, if they think he's a good person, that's great. You know, the good things you've done, God's going to take care of that. What about the bad things? Can they think of anything wrong they've ever done? Now this is, a, this is the pursuit of lines of talking, discussion that we can actually have with somebody. Haven't you ever done anything wrong? And up to this point, in verses like 1 to 3, have you ever observed anybody doing something wrong? Yeah, this is wrong. What about the people who say that they don't have any standard? Okay, there's a lot of people like that. Well, I don't know there's no right or wrong, it's all relativity, right? But we can ask them, well, is, haven't you ever seen anything done wrong in the society? You'll see at a certain point, people will find that there are things that are done wrong. Uh, and I sometimes give an example, if maybe you don't think anything wrong of abortion, okay? Uh, maybe you don't think there's anything wrong of that person stealing some money from that person. You figure the poor need the money from the rich, so they kind of say that's all right. But how would you feel if someone came and actually stole your money? You know, would you feel like something was done wrong? Or would you? How would you feel if someone came and just cut your arm off? Or if someone came and raped your child? You will keep pushing 
and you will finally find some sensitive areas where they see there are some wrong things in this world. They have a judgment. And sometimes you have to get real close to their own lives because they have so much political values that have reshaped. Uh, you know, the poor taking from the rich. Uh, this is a big political thing nowadays, right? You know, increase it, take more from the rich, and you know, give it to the poor. This is the way they're thinking. And, and to me, it's stealing. It's actually stealing. To them, it's the political part. You know, it, it's just in their minds, the way they're thinking. You know, they work for it, they, they don't get it. We take it from them. To me, it's just totally. But uh, I won't get into this too much. But uh, who will render? But God says he renders, he renders, he will actually look and evaluate. Now, if he's going to evaluate, that means he's kept records, very close records of each individual. Wow, you know, what does my record look like? Pretty bad, you know, pretty long, and it's not too good. So these are all things that we need to think of. Are there questions or comments? Or if you especially, especially have you know, someone that you're thinking, you've tried to share the gospel with in this context, are they self-righteous or uh, people without standards? Well, actually, that's next, next lesson we can talk more about that. It's the hardest people to talk to. So the thing is, we believe, I think the biggest problem, we don't evangelize, we're ashamed of the gospel because we don't think they need the gospel. And so we're kind of shy about it. Because we don't really believe they need it. Now, if you really know how much they're hiding things from themselves, they're deluded. They don't see their sin. If we really saw their sin as Jesus saw them, yeah, then we would be more compelled to pray for them, share the gospel. Risk your job over it even, perhaps, maybe. But the point is, you can't just be there and know something and think they're all well when they're not well. You can't think that way. Everybody's being prosecuted. Everybody's under the line of judgment. Therefore, we have to respond to that. Yes? I have um, one person who said that um, she, she, she has done a lot of good things in her life, so I like, can cover the bad things that she has done. Mm -hmm. So what, what should... Um, okay, that's a good statement. Uh, one person who said they've done a lot of good things in life, so it kind of overcomes the bad things. Mm -hmm. Now, in light of what we just read, what, what do you think God will say on Judgment Day to her? Good the good will cancel the bad? Is that what we just read? Okay, he will render good for good and bad for bad. Does that mean the good can ever overcome the bad? Now, so that's, the, that's the conclusion that man comes to, right? Somehow my good deeds can overcome the bad. And see, that's the falseness of it all, isn't it? There's no way that can happen. Because you still have your bad. But, but what about, what about that? Yes. That's true too. Uh, especially if you evaluate the motives by which we're doing the good things. It's really good in the end. But uh, just giving a giving credence to their good behavior, their, their good caring for others. I was just trying to be positive on that element. I agree with you, though. If we just talked about what, what about the bad, what makes you think the good will cover the bad? It says God will judge people for their bad deeds. What about the bad ones? Uh, and we can perhaps pursue that type of argument and discussion. Okay, just a little bit more here. Uh, as we go on verse 2 to 7, 
where we talked about that eternal life, something like that, that, that goes on and on. He doesn't say heaven here. Uh, he says eternal life. More than often, Christians use the word heaven. Uh, Jesus always used the phrase eternal life. Perhaps we should use that more than heaven because it helps. We're, we're getting some categories off when we think about eternal life. It talks about us in a, in a thriving situation in God's presence. And sometimes we think of heaven that way. But heaven is more often used, I'm not saying it's totally exclusively used that way, but it's more as described in the atmosphere, the heavens up there. And people can get confused. Jesus talked a lot more about eternal life than as Paul does here and John and others. So only given to those who do good, but wrath will be given on those who are selfish. Have I ever been selfish? Well, yeah, maybe I have. Don't want to admit it. But uh, verse 9 and 10, you know, for every soul, so, you know, right here, every person is going to be judged, right? And God sees not just the physical things we do, the immaterial things. So those who are so wrapped up in a materialistic perspective of, of the world, it's, it's, it's not enough. God also judges the, um, the soul, the spirit, the immaterial part of our lives. And there's no partiality, no difference of sexes, ages, backgrounds, cultures, religions. Verse 11. There's no partiality with God. Absolutely none. So, I mean, you say, well, I was the youngest. I was always picked on by my older sisters, older brothers. Or, I never could find a boyfriend. Or, you know, that's why I'm so mean. Or, I, I can't, you know, find that job. And therefore, you know, I'm, I'm jealous. Well, you can't do that. None of that. It doesn't work. But to wind up the first Okay. Is he vampire? Now, oh, that's a good question because that's exactly what Paul wants us to think right now. All right. That is that is his conclusion. He is trying to get us to think about partiality because he said what he said to the Jew first and also the Greek. He said that twice. Okay. Why is he saying Jew first? Are they preferential? Are they better off? Paul is going to be going into further arguments here. And I won't get into that. There's three actual arguments toward the end of the chapter. But it's very important for those who are self-confident. Because they often relate to us. Even as Christians, sometimes we fall into a sense of life of works. God judges me on my works. We find that that's actually not true. Satan will come there and exploit our feelings and make us depressed and give up. Now you probably have felt those or heard those words come in your mind. He's always trying to get you to give up and focus on those things. But you see, it, we should say, yes, I am a sinner. If you ever feel those guilty thoughts, either say, yes, I am guilty or I'm not guilty. But if I am guilty, then point to Jesus. And you'll ex experience more of God's grace. If you're not guilty, he's just bringing something back that's already been forgiven, then just push it aside. But if you are guilty, run under the cross. That's the refuge. That's the place. To be. We've looked at a, a number of situations and, and, and things here. Is anyone righteous enough to pass God's test? Well, he hasn't really concluded all his arguments here. He's only trying to get the self-righteous. First of all, he points to, yeah, well, have I done the same? But in the end, he is going to come to a conclusion at the, end, at the middle of chapter 3. But I, I, I'm not going to go there yet. But I, I do want you to think about it. If God only judges our righteous our, our evil deeds, how would we really do? How would our friends do? And if we just have this as one basic teaching, it will set the basis by which we understand the cross, sin, salvation, and why God sent His Son Jesus. 
Otherwise, he could not just say those who didn't hear the gospel. Why, nobody, everybody could just go to heaven if he just kind of overlooked mass. Now you know why God can't. God is not partial. There's a day of judgment. God is the moral governor of the world and will certainly judge all deeds and um, recompense all. Um, now the question, of course, for us is, as Christians, we should live good, godly lives, doing good works now to exalt his name in the power of the Holy Spirit, through His love and grace. That is how we do it. Not to gain salvation, we'll find that out later, but as a result of salvation. It's putting us on back on that track of, perse of persevering in righteousness, and doing those good things. That's where we need to be. That's where everybody should be. That's where God's calling us to be. But something has to be dealt with first before we can actually get to that point. End of chapter 1, he pointed out all those they people out there, those bad people out there. Beginning of chapter 1, all the people who think they're good and the inside protected. But nobody's really protected. No partiality with God. God is judging everybody. Victor, no. God was going to judge the Jewish person the same as a Gentile. Okay? And that's his point here. Remember that. He chose them in the sense that he offered a way of finding escape. But that did not mean that they were could, on their own, uh, void themselves of God's judgment. That was not possible. In fact, they will be judged first, also. So bear with us as we work through some of these teachings. They're important. Um, if a bigger teaching seems, I don't understand it, go through the basic teachings like I did in the last section here, verses 5 to 11, step by step. John, oh yeah, just go through there and look at it. You'll see all the basic elements of teaching. They will form together big theologies of salvation or sin and things like this. But they're all based on small premises that are spoken clearly throughout the scriptures. When we identify the small elements, we can tell those when we're sharing the gospel. We can understand the teaching better. Um, if they're all in that one big doctrine, you know, sometimes they overwhelm us. We don't know how to share the gospel. So it's, it's helpful just to focus on those individual elements. Okay, let's stop in a word of prayer here. Lord, we thank you so much. We declare that you are the righteous God who will judge all sin. We pray, Lord, that we put a healthy fear, Lord, into all mankind. That all mankind, Lord, be woken up and seek after you, O oh Lord. Oh, Father, we have gone so far astray. We want to pride ourselves in our good deeds when actually, Lord, we don't want to face our evil deeds. God, we pray that you would open up our hearts more to how much we have sinned against you, how much we have fallen from your mark, that all the more you might rescue us, that you might bring a great love and affection to you, that we might be able to want others to know your great love and grace in Christ Jesus. We thank you for this time, Lord. Help us beware of cults, false teaching, even when we believe those things, Lord. And mostly, Lord, let us never be those self-righteous, but humbled and broken by our sin, but ever grateful for our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for our following lunchtime. We just praise you, Lord, that we can be a great family, blessed by you, provided and taken care. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.